thanks. Why would you willingly take class from eight o'clock to nine fifty? That's my. I question. did not willingly take it. It was I the mean, only lab available. Why, why, would take, why would you take a class with the option of a lab from eight o'clock to nine fifty? Why would you just like to take a different class? Cinema courses that's have a, screenings at nights that I had to do. That's a great question, Chloe. It's because that was the easiest one, and I was like, I'm not trying to do a hard science class. I guess. And with that, welcome back to the DI scoreboard, everybody. No. <laughs> no, that would have been so good if you just kept doing it. Welcome back to the DI scoreboard, everybody. I am your famous producer and editor, Carly Dahlberg, joined as always by our lovely host, Austin Hansen. Austin, how are you doing today? I am terrific. I'm excited for you to introduce the rest of our crew today. Absolutely. We are also joined by the lovely astronomer, Chris Werner. Chris, how do you feel about going to astronomy lab after this? Oh, I'm just feeling out of this world. I just love, <laughs> I love circumpolar motion, you know, all about uh, lunar tides and stuff. I heard Mercury's in retrograde and everything. Let's get to it. Absolutely. And we are also joined by the lovely Chloe Peterson. I am unaware of all of her many titles. I just know she is a Caitlin Clark specialist, I believe. Chloe, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing fantastic today. I have nothing interesting else to share. Awesome. Austin, what are we talking about this week? I did not pay attention when you told us what the topics were. So we've got all kinds of spicy topics uh, today, but I think we should start here because it's most recent um, and is probably most connected to this podcast. Um, and I want to talk about Iowa football's matchup with Maryland. This Friday, number five, Iowa, 4-0, travels to Maryland Stadium in College Park or Washington, D.C. or wherever. They're all in close proximity. It's way out there on the East Coast where the Big Ten shouldn't even extend to. But anyway, we can get into Mike Loxley's personal vendetta against the Big Ten later. So let's start here. Um, Maryland in the past hasn't been a team to be afraid of. Um, let's put it frankly, they've been terrible. What do the Hawkeyes have to fear this week? Chloe, Chris, you were media availability with me this week. I think there are a couple... Uh, things that stood out about the Terrapins, whichever uh, one of you wants to hop on it first. Yeah, I guess I'll go. I'll hop in first. Um, from what I've seen, they just beat everybody they're supposed to beat. So they have yet to they have yet to disappoint their uh, their fans. But uh, hopefully Friday's the uh, <laughs> Friday Friday's the day. Um, it's going to be a big primetime game, the only game on TV. Um, so, so they're going to have a lot of viewers and it'll be a, it'll be a moment for Iowa to really show the nation what they're about because all of those college football fans won't have anything else to watch. So I'm just excited to see, see how that goes. Uh, I know Talia Tagabailoa is putting up some big numbers as the quarterback of the Terrapins. So it'll be another opportunity for Iowa's defense to show, show what it's about. Obviously they've had a great season thus far and we'll see if it can continue. Yeah, Talia is interesting. Um, I like that you brought up Talia talking about Loa. Um, most importantly, because he's ranked in the top three in the country in passer rating um, for the first four weeks of the season. His aggregate passer rating on the season is top three. Um, he's looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the country and probably the best quarterback in the Big Ten easily. 
um, mainly because CJ Stratton's been hurt. He's been a little inconsistent. Um, but Talia is really what makes that Maryland offense go. They've got some weapons. They've got physical linemen. They can run the ball. They, they've got some weapons at wide receiver. Um, but Talia is, is the engine that makes that offense move. And, and I think that that could be difficult for Iowa. Iowa's had trouble stopping dual threat quarterbacks in the past. This year, it hasn't been as big a problem. Um, but it's really going to be strength versus strength. Like Maryland's defense has improved quite a bit. But the Terrapins offense is is the centerpiece of that team. And you mentioned it, Chris, they've, they've beaten everyone they've, they're, you know, they're supposed to beat, right. They beat Kent state, they beat Illinois, they beat other various scrub teams like Howard. Um, so Maryland's beaten everyone they're supposed to beat. Well, I was earned two wins that maybe they weren't considered to be favored games. They weren't supposed to be favored in, you know, against Iowa state and Indiana granted those two teams have sort of fell off and like, it's unclear um, if those two teams are actually as good as we think they are, and if those will end up being quality ones at the end of the season, both of them aren't even ranked at the AP top 25 anymore, but um, I don't want to hog all the, the time we have to talk about Maryland. Um, Chloe, what do you, you know, what did you glean from media availability Tuesday afternoon? And what do you expect from this matchup Friday? I mean, I think like the first four games I was had, if its defense does not get it together, they're going to lose. Like its offense isn't going to do anything. But the only thing the offense really has going for it right now is that Spencer Petras can sometimes throw downfield a couple of times. He got an interception that one time, but he made a couple completions. But if if Iowa's defense falters like it did in the first half against Colorado State, I don't know if they're going to be able to come back from that because Maryland will be able to put up more numbers or more touchdowns with Tagovailoa than Colorado State could. I think you're right about that. Um, Iowa's first in the Big Ten in scoring defense. Uh, they're last in offense. So two very different things happening right now with Iowa their special teams one of the best in the league but I don't think the Big Ten ranks those uh, one to 14 um, so the big question is if Iowa ever gets into a game and this Friday could be it where they've got to score points and their backs are against the wall can they win a game like that because Maryland's defense is okay and okay defenses are good enough to put 11 defenders in the box say hey you only have six offensive linemen two running backs and three tight ends. You can't block everyone that efficiently. We will just continue to stop Tyler Goodson and make Spencer Petras throw the ball. Can he do that? Sometimes is the answer to that question. Sometimes he can throw the ball accurately. So I guess, Chris, what would you say? If, like, can Iowa win a game? Like, they haven't allowed over 24 points in a long time. But if there's ever a game like Kirk Ferentz has said, you know, the opponent scores over 24 points or they're in a 40, 40 something, like, you know, 40 something to 40 something type of game. Can they win that type of game? Is their offense good enough for that? Well, I, I think the, the big thing there is about in-game adjustments because when Iowa starts, they always want to run the ball. That's like how they want to start the games. That's how their team is kind of built. They want to build around Tyler Goodson and those other weapons they have in the backfield. That's just been always been their identity as a football team. So it's going to be about, can they make an, enough in-game adjustments and put Petrus in situations where he can throw the ball down the field? Because he has shown that he can complete passes, albeit they are three yards down the middle. Like, uh, and it gets to, they'll run the ball once, 
it'll get to third and seven. They'll complete, or it'll get to seven, second and seven. They'll have one incompletion, third and seven, and they're going to complete a three-yard pass, and it's going to be fourth and four, and they'll send Tori Taylor out there. And uh, it's just going to be about if Petrus has enough time in the pocket and is aware enough to where he can find those receivers downfield more consistently than he did than he has this season. He's completed a couple deep ones last game, but it's going to be can they sustain long drives? Because the 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 way they've scored this year is they pin these teams down like in their own end zone. They make them punt out of their own end zone, then get the ball around midfield, drive it 50 yards and score. If they can't do that, then it's it's going to be an uphill battle. And I, I won't go either way if they'll win or if they won't, but it's definitely going to be one that Hawkeye fans are going to be sweating it out. So I'm interested to see. I know they're going to have to face that a couple times this year just with the Big Ten competition and how good the coaches are game planning for these teams. So they're gonna have to they're gonna have to figure out that passing offense and that offense as a whole at some point if they if they really wanna uh, be as good as they they say they can be. So Chris, you're telling me that they shouldn't run a fullback dive on third and eight. I mean, I love Monte Potabom as much as the next guy. If they want to pick up that first down, they should not be doing it. Right. If you wanna if you're content with fourth and five and a punt, give it to Monte every fourth and now. five okay. and or Taylor pass uh, for three yards. Yep, I'm perfect. So I'll say good. we need to keep his hundred. We need to keep his hundred percent completion percentage. He was telling the media all about that. So I'll say Potabom fullback dive from last week. If you're content with just a punt on offense, we do not think you can pick this up. We're just gonna run a fullback dive, give Tory Taylor three more yards of space away from the end zone, so you can punt it. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be, that's just, just a problem. And you're giving up on offense, basically, you know, that's a mentality like, wow, if it's not third and three, third and two, third and one, we're just going to punt the ball, uh, which is a problem. You know, that that's problematic to me on so many levels. Um, if you're just okay with punting, I mean, obviously it wasn't a high pressure situation, you know, where you're thinking about that, but like, oof, like you're not going to do that in the fourth quarter of a game, but. You definitely don't want to do it in the first quarter either. No, and and you're going to have to change that game plan once you get in these games. We're going to have to score points. That's, I mean, it goes back to that. They're not going to, they're not going to have like last game against Colorado State. They had multiple times where they like ran draw plays on third and eleven. Like you're just not going to have that luxury. So there's going to be, there's going to have to be some. Brian Ferentz is going to have to change his. He's going to have to become more aggressive. But that all rests on if the defense can't stop, like, contain the, the opponent. And, and it's not even going to be like I, – I do not think the defense is ever going to give up more than, more than 35 points this year. But there will be one or two games where, where it gets a little dodgy and the, the offense is going to have to score. So that's really going to be the measuring stick because that defense is a top-five defense in the country, no doubt. And it's – the offense has shown flashes in which they can be – that good but they have not put together a consistent or a yeah consistent game quite yet it's always been aided by the defense so that's going to really be the big key to see if Iowa can win these these big games and then uh, eventually if they get that far beat presumably Ohio State in the uh, in the conference title game I think Colorado State sort of provided the formula to beat Iowa last week right Stack the box, stop the run, 
And obviously there are some external factors, right? Like when Tory Taylor had a couple bad punts and it was a windy day on Saturday. So it was really tough out there. Um, you know, and if Tory Taylor's not pinning the opposing offense at its own 10 or five or inside the 20, you know, every single time, those opposing offenses are going to score and that's going to put more pressure on Iowa to score or uh, that's going to put more pressure on Iowa's defense, you know, and if you're talking about field position and offenses are driving it to around the 50 yard line and backing Iowa's offense up, Iowa's offense is unlikely to go 70 or 80 yards for a score. Like Chris said, they need to get the ball around midfield. Um, so if it's ever a tough punting day, Iowa will struggle too because uh, its offense can't sustain a drive. So I think we all saw that Maryland's going to have a blackout game, which is interesting to do against Iowa, a team that's colors are black and gold. Um, and by all accounts, it sounds like Maryland Stadium is going to be sold out. Chloe, what do you expect Friday night's atmosphere to be like for the Hawkeyes? And did you glean anything from Kirk Ferentz's press conference or, you know, in talking to any players this week? I mean, they talked a lot about it being like Iowa State because obviously Iowa's only been on one road trip and that is to Iowa State but I don't think it's going to be as hostile of an environment as Iowa State was because at Iowa State you had the the in-state rivalry the number 10 versus number nine and all those other factors but with Maryland it's kind of like Maryland hasn't been that good this is like the first year they're actually halfway decent so I don't know if the half them being halfway decent is going to, you know, rile up their fans a little bit more. So they might be, it might be a little bit more hostile or what the atmosphere specifically is going to be like, but it is interesting that it's a blackout game. And, and I'll add that I think the Iowa state game being so early in the season on the road definitely helped Iowa because they, I forget what player it was, but at media day or media availability this week, one of the Hawkeyes players said, like, the crowd's not going to get any worse than Iowa State. And and we won that game. So we're pretty much prepared for anything. And I think that's a big part of it. Another thing that I know Kirk Ferentz preaches a lot is it's all about us. And he just, he preaches just this team-centered mentality about if we handle our business, the outside factors won't matter. So if his team buys into that mindset, I really don't think, I really don't think the atmosphere is going to have much to do with the outcome of the game. I think it's just going to be just the skill on the field. And that's, uh, that's how Kirk Ferentz wants it to be. And uh, if that's the case, then Iowa definitely has a better shot than if they let the, the crowd affect them. But I, I don't, I don't think it'll have much of an effect. Maybe in the first couple of drives, but after a while, um, I think it'll die down if it, if it does affect it at all. Yeah, I don't suspect that that'll be a factor, although I, this is the first time Maryland's looked good, like Chloe said, and they have a chance to beat a top five team at home. So for these East Coast students that aren't used to good football like we have here in the Midwest and in the South, um, this is their first chance to storm the field and do this and do that. Like Maryland hasn't had a chance to do that in years. Like every time a good team comes to town, Maryland fans are, you know, grabbing the walls and bracing for impact. They're ready for a 70 to zero, you know, blowout or something like that. But now this game seems personal for Maryland. 
Mike Loxley made note of it at his press conference on Monday um, or Tuesday. It was Tuesday. He made note of it. He was like, hey, we're Maryland. We've played two games on a Friday night in a one-month stretch. And he kind of acknowledged that it's always one bad team on a Friday night. And, like, Maryland is always that bad team. Well, now they're 4-0. Um, and I think he said maybe when we finally become full members of the Big Ten, they won't put us on Friday night all the time because we won't be viewed as that sort of scrub team. The big crux of what he said was maybe when we become full members of the Big Ten, um, you know, implying the conference doesn't respect Maryland. But this just seems personal for Mike Loxley in Maryland, and it seems like they have more than enough gas to get ready for this game. Yeah, it's it's going to be – it's going to be one where Kirk Ferentz is going to have to, he might have to calm his guys down. I know when at the beginning of the Iowa state game, both teams were kind of rusty. So it's going to be about starting fast. And Iowa, Iowa hasn't done that uh, really at all this season. Against Colorado state, obviously down at half Kent state took a while to, to warm up and Iowa state, Indiana was different because Indiana, the defense really, propelled them out from the start but they're gonna have to they're gonna have to figure out how to how to put some points on the board early and not rely on the defense so this is this is a big way to do it and this is obviously prime time might not be the way Maryland wants it Friday nights but it is it is a it is a pivotal game and this one this one almost could set the tone more than those early season games because we've seen both those teams Indiana and Iowa State that Iowa beat earlier in the year are no longer ranked. So those teams didn't end up being as good as everybody thought they would. But Maryland has surprised some people. So here's another another test, an undefeated team that could sneak up on Iowa. And Iowa's going to get everybody's best game now that they've got that five ranking on their back. So it's a pivotal game. Obviously, Loxley feels a little bit jaded and, and kind of slighted by the Big Ten. I wonder, I, I'm sure he's said that to his team. This is like a proving uh, a, a way for us to prove ourselves. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be a battle. And uh, I really think it's going to be, it's going to have to be Petrus. One drive earlier in the game, early in the game could really set the tone here. So that's what I'm kind of looking for out of the gate. So I feel like for Mike Loxley, the chip on the shoulder for this season probably started you know, at Big Ten Football Media Days, and you were there for that, Chloe. Do you want to talk about what happened to Mike Loxley when he got in front of all the media and was available for his press conference? Yeah, so Mike Loxley got up to this big podium at Lucas Oil Stadium that all the coaches were on. He did his, what, five to ten minute opening statement, and they opened it up for questions, and nobody had a question for Mike Loxley at Big Ten Media Days. Let's make note too that there's over a hundred reporters at did they this have, press conference. Did they have people from Maryland there? Yes, there were did, hundreds of reporters at this presser, and no one had a question for Mike Loxley. How did that? I think that more reflects the journalism industry as a whole than uh, than Mike Loxley, but he can use it however he wants to. Last thing I want to touch on with this game uh, is just picks all of us picked Iowa and are on the line for pregame this week officially does anyone want to change it up and pick Maryland no I I think it I think it's going to be a close one I would say one possession 
I think Iowa's going to get out to a lead and Maryland's going to come back on them, but it's going to going to fall short. So I think the fourth quarter is going to be going to be hotly contested. It'll be a very close game, but I think I will pull it out. Do we think with a win over Maryland, Iowa could leapfrog Penn State and go up to number four? Because Maryland was receiving a lot of votes this week. Uh, if you played it out by the receiving votes at the AP poll, Maryland would have been ranked 27th in the nation this, uh, this week. Um, is a win over Maryland good enough to help Iowa leap into that number four spot, or do they stay at five until they play Penn State next week? I think it's Penn depends, State playing. I think it depends what Penn State does against Indiana. Because if Indiana puts up a fight against Penn State, Indiana has been mediocre at best this year. So if that score is close and Iowa beats Maryland convincingly, they should they should leapfrog them. Or, or the, uh, the committee could just sit back and just wait an extra week to change the rankings if both teams win. But yeah, it, it could be a big, big week. I, I, I hope both teams win just to set up that undefeated battle at, at Kinnick Stadium on October 9th. So let's just move on to the next topic. Um, I want to stay in college, but I want to move sports. Uh, I want to talk about women's basketball because uh, the NCAA made a big announcement Wednesday that they're going to use the March Madness branding for this year's NCAA women's basketball tournament. And my question is, why weren't they doing that before? I didn't realize they weren't doing that. It's a sticker on the floor. It's just branding and commercials. Yeah, I'll defer to Chloe on this one, but just my two cents, I I don't understand it because the, the March Madness, nobody really, no casual fan really refers to either of the, those those that tournament as oh the NCAA tournament they're like oh have you watched March Madness so there's really no reason why they couldn't have done that with the women's tournament also you just change up the court a little bit put some put some advertising out and it, it just seems a lot more marketable that way so I really have no answer for you I don't I don't understand why they weren't doing it before but uh, we'll we'll see if that leads to more publicity and more popularity uh, down the road. Obviously, I think last year was the first year that they didn't just have whip-around coverage where they had announcers for every game and showed it in its entirety. So it, it, it seems from the outside looking in like it's on the come-up. Um, we'll see if this, if this change in the, in the branding do, does more in that aspect as well. Yeah, um, it probably comes off the thing also that the NCAA came under fire last year during both tournaments because of the weight room disparities that obviously we're terrible, but I feel like this can only help the NCAA because it not, it like the March Madness is a big brand. And if you expand it to include women's basketball, it doesn't hurt anything really. And last year, I believe the sticker on the floor just said NCAA women's basketball. So I don't see why I can't say March Madness this time because it'll only expand the brand and give them more visibility. The big question for me is why wouldn't why wasn't it being done before, right? If it's something as simple as a change in marketing, um, and it can only help the women's tournament and the NCAA and at the profitability of the women's tournament, why weren't you doing it before? Like, was it sacred that the men's tournament had to have like it was the only tournament that could have the March Madness branding? It's just a phrase. It's just a trademark phrase that belongs to the NCAA. 
and in my opinion, it's just, it's ignorance um, that led to that. It's just a lack of attention to detail, you know, like it feels like it's one of those things that didn't even cross anyone's mind. They were just like, oh, maybe we should put this on the floor for the women's tournament. Yes, you should. It's played at the exact same time. It has the exact same number of teams. The only difference is not every game's at a neutral site. Is the only difference between the two tournaments uh, uh, from a holistic perspective. Right. And I, I could see how if there was a different organization running the women's tournament, how that could be like a copyright thing, or if one of them trademarked it and one of them didn't have it, that could be the issue. But the NCAA is the one overseeing everything. So there's obviously, I think the March Madness branding leads to more profit and just more buzz around the tournament. So I really think ignorance is the only argument because there's no other reason why they couldn't do it because you've seen the success with the men's tournament. What, what makes you think it wouldn't happen during the women's tournament? So it's gotta be across nobody's mind, which is tough for an organization as big as the NCAA that nobody thought of that. I think it comes off like, you know, a, they didn't think of it or B like they're trying to make up for the weight room disparities last year. You know, like they're like, oh, that didn't happen. Let's slap the March Madness branding on the women's tournament now. And everything's all good. It doesn't, it, it feels a little disingenuous with that in mind. And I, I know that's a cynical way to look at it, but I feel like patting the NCAA on the back and being like, great job. So glad you did this is not the complete right way to go about it. You know, it's sort of like the University of Iowa adding a women's wrestling program. Yes, it's great, but from a cynical point of view, really, it's a lawsuit that triggered that. So I don't know, Chloe, if you have anything you want to add to the March Madness branding conversation. Uh, not really anything that hasn't been said. It just seems like the NCAA overlooked that, like they overlook a lot of women's sports. They had that issue with the women's volleyball tournament last season as well. So it's not entirely surprising to me if they just overlooked it. Yeah, for those that might not be familiar, Chloe, do you want to talk about the the women's volleyball tournament a little bit? Um, I don't really remember that many specifics of it, but I believe there were not announcers for the first couple rounds of the games, and there was something wrong with the floors as well. Like, they were playing basically on concrete, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's right. The first couple games, they didn't have any announcers, uh, and the floors were not adequate. So the NCAA continues to overlook women's sports, but perhaps they're trending towards, you know, a bit of a bit of a resolution there. And at long last, they will like acknowledge that. It's, but it also looks bad too, and that they're like, oh, look at that. Women's basketball is making us money now. Like they have viewers, there's fans of it. Let's put March Madness branding on it to capitalize on that. Um, but when before, when it wasn't as profitable, they weren't as interested. Um, that's just me I don't know being hard on the NCAA but it seems like all those things contributed to it and it's not like we should just give them a good old pat on the back and be like thanks NCAA you're the best I think that was their goal to kind of get the the casual fan I I, they weren't catering to the sports media like uh, we claim to be but the casual fan they wanted to be like oh we're putting March Menace on the women's tournament now like wanted to paint themselves in a good light. I do think part of it 
was to make up for the weight room kind of fiasco they had um, last year. And so, so we'll see what the fan reaction is like. I, I hope, I hope it does help with the, with the popularity and, and the viewership. And I, I think it will. I think it will. I also think that Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, they've got marketable personalities that, and I do think it helped that like NBA players were talking about it. So it became more ingrained in the mainstream um, with the casual fan who might not watch women's college basketball otherwise, who, who might just be kind of in tune with the happenings of the NBA. So it does feel like the NCAA is just kind of capitalizing on um, the newfound popularity that they experienced last season. So if we're all good on this topic, I have one last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up. It's near and dear to Chris and I's hearts. Chris, Justin Fields is, he's, Justin Fields is bad. He's, he's bad at football. Justin Fields uh, is bad. Uh, he, he is, uh, I'll say this, uh, to, to misquote Dennis Green, he is not who we thought he was. He is not as, I, will, I won't say he's bad at football. I will say he is not ready to be an NFL quarterback. Or Matt Nagy is not ready to coach him. One of the two. Because I, because I, I will repeatedly say this. I was talking to a lot of people about this this week. A lot of the, a lot of the highlights you watch of Fields at Notre at uh, Ohio State. I almost said Notre Dame. Good lord, uh, at Ohio State was rolling out of the pocket on play action, and having a lot of room to run or make a throw. And yet, when he was uh, under center last Sunday, he was a pure pocket passer, and that's just not what he is. And in the post-game pressers, Matt Nagy said, oh, the Browns took us out of the, some of the things we wanted to do. Let's just run one or two bootlegs and see what happens. Like, obviously, what you were doing wasn't working either. So I, I don't quite get it. it. It seems like they set him up to fail. I mean, and I think a lot of the, I would say 70-30, the blame goes on Nagy. Obviously, Field wasn't reading the field fast enough, but he wasn't getting any time because that offensive line was uh, doing their best Swiss cheese impression. But, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. They've got all three of their quarterbacks lined up as number one on the depth chart prior to their game against the uh, the Lions this week. So we could get another Nick Foles sighting. I don't know how we feel about that. I I, I do not like it. Maybe, maybe he can channel his inner uh, second half against the Falcons last year. That'd be fun. So I do think we owe Mitchell Trubisky an apology because uh, Mitch took the Bears to the playoffs twice with Matt Nagy as his head coach. Mitch made plays with Matt Nagy as his head coach. I'm not I'd sure like, at this point that Mitch is a bad quarterback. No, I'd like to take this uh, opportunity to formally apologize to Mitchell Trubisky. If you're listening, um, please come back. Come back to us. I didn't mean anything I said. You can continue to just throw it up to Allen Robinson as as much as you want. That's fine by me. I'd rather, I'd rather have you throw three picks and for a hundred yards than, hundred and fifty yards than uh, have one passing yard net. So uh, anything is better than what happened last week. Here's the thing that makes me sad: Jay Cutler and Mitchell Trubisky stunk, and we're still like, oh, please come back. Like they're not good. That's just the precedent we have as Bears fans. We're expecting bad quarterback play. So, like, when we see something average, like when Mitch was average in 2018 or when Jay Cutler was average in 2015, we marveled at that. 
and we like Spencer wish we could have that again. Spencer Petrus is the best quarterback I've ever seen. Honestly, we watched Nate, we watched, we watched the Bears, whatever situation every single Sunday. And as an appetizer, we get to watch Spencer Petrus on Saturday. I'd like to take this opportunity to also uh, talk to Matt Nagy directly. I know in your pressers, you continue to say we need to figure out the why part. You've had uh, enough weeks to try to figure out the why part. Uh, it's time to move on and uh, figure out your next job opportunity. We, you've had enough time to figure out the why. Have, why haven't you done it? That's my question, not the why part. It's why haven't you done it? Thank you. Yeah, the, the Bears haven't had a good coach since Lovey Smith. That's so sad because they weren't even that good. Their offense has never been good. Like, when is the last time it's been good? Josh McCown? 2015, Jay Cutler, Josh McCown, Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey. I think they had a top 10 offense in the league that year. So Austin just muted himself uh, before he was done. But I was, I, I think he was going to say, I, I think they had a mediocre offense at best. But Chloe Peterson just, uh, entered a, a message in the chat and she said, want to know who is good and followed it up with a Ron uh, to quote the famous key and peel. I will let her elaborate on his 30, 37 seconds of brilliance uh, this Sunday night. Ah, uh, yes. You know, Packers are, they, they can be down, but they're never out. That's all I have to say. Sucks to the bears fans that what they about, have their what issues. What a, yeah. What about that I, game against new Orleans? Were you they, know, we don't talk about that. Of that? You know what? We don't talk about that one. Um, anyway, sucks to be Bears fans. Life is hard for you. I feel terrible, as you can tell. So bad. That is that is my diatribe for today. Thank you. That's that's great. You added a lot to the conversation. <sighs> as Chris and I emerge from the pit of misery uh, and get ready to. Uh, romanticize the Bears again and get ready to be hurt again at the end of this week on Sunday. Uh, we'd like to remind you that this has been the DI Scoreboard. I am your host, Austin Hansen. Thank you to Chris Werner, my co-host, for joining me. Uh, I'd also like to thank our guest, Chloe Peterson, for hopping on. Uh, and a special shout out to our producer, Carly Dahlberg, today. She kicked off the show, uh, and I know she's has a lot going on right now, particularly she's wedged this podcast between two exams. Uh, so kudos to her for sticking around with us and um, weathering the storm this week. I know that that has got to be tough um, and she puts up with me every week. So that certainly amplifies any struggles there might be. But anyway, thanks to all of y'all for listening to us this week. Uh, we hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, and as always, this podcast is sponsored by Absolutely No One. This is going haywire. Want to wrap it up? Am I wrapping it up? <laughs> Nobody is saying anything. All right. All right. Thanks for that. <laughs> I was going to do it. Okay, go ahead. You're not cool enough. <laughs>